The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Keep your Bibles open to Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Uh, what I'd love to do is to pray and then uh, we will begin. So let us pray. Lord, it is true this morning that you are more eager to teach us than we are to listen. That, Father, you would desire to impart truth to us from your word more than our heart's desire is to receive it. And, God, our posture here this morning is that we do want to receive your word. Would you, by, by your grace, give us ears to hear and eyes to see? What we know not, would you teach us? What we are not, would you make us? And what we have not, would you give us? In the resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Let's start with a question. And children, you can think through this question as well. If you were to sketch a frog, what would it look like? If you were to sketch a frog, what would it look like? Well, this is the question posed to me when I was playing Pictionary. I got an animal, I had to draw, and it was a frog. And so if you're familiar with Pictionary, you start drawing, the people on your team start guessing. Turns out either they weren't very good guessers or I wasn't a very good drawer because we had multiple animals um, suggested. Crocodile, octopus, bear. Um, Needless to say, we didn't win that round. Let me ask you another question. If you were to sketch out discipleship in a church, what might that look like? If you were to sketch out discipleship in a church, what might that look like? The passage we're looking at today um, is is a passage that I think can help give us some handles to how we can foster and form a discipleship culture within a church. And so to to grab the culture of a church, to grab the discipleship culture, I give us four handles um, from the text with four words. The first word is think, the second word is stir, third word is gather, and the fourth word is to encourage. And so I want to sketch this out for, for us here today from this passage. Now, there's obviously many discipleship. You can go to lots of different places in the Bible for that, and we'll just camp in this part. And um, this is to uh, encourage and, and foster uh, an ongoing heart for discipleship in your church, which I know that you have, and through conversations with Jimmy, um, you value this. And so today is an exhortation to continue going strong. So let's go. So the first thing, the first picture, the first sketch that we would do is the word consider or to think about it. See that with me in verse 24. It says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. To keep the Pictionary analogy going, imagine this task for all the members of a church is an all play. This is everybody's in this together. This is a collective consideration. Let us, each of us, think about the other's good. We've got to give it some thought. We're going to have some plans. Discipleship culture in a church is less individualistic and it's more communal. Um, perhaps if you grew up playing team sports, early on you had to be warned against not being a ball hog. Um, if, if you were any good. I, I wasn't that good, so I didn't have more. It was like, get, get involved in the game. But some people had to warn, don't be a ball hog. Instead, we need you to be a team player. You can't just think of yourself. You need to think of others. 
So the writer of Hebrews is saying, saying, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Now, who are these other people that we're trying to stir up? Who, are these, who is the us that is considering this? Well, this is other brothers and sisters who have tasted the same grace of God that we have. This is other brothers and sisters who've tasted the same grace of God that we have. We are the ones considering and we're the ones who are seeking to stir one another up. Look with me back from verse 19. You kind of see the on-ramp up into this passage. It says, Therefore, brothers, sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So the writer, in an exhortation to consider one another, firstly grounds it in in what God has done for us. He says, before we consider one another, I want you just to consider the gospel. Consider this gospel. Consider how you have now confidence to enter the holy places. Consider how Christ, through his body, shed his blood for you, that he would extend the grace to you. So if we, this is important because if we miss this grace-filled foundation, I think we'll kind of miss the the grace-fueled motivation towards encouraging, thinking, and stirring on one another. This starts in the foundation of, of the gospel, Christ shedding his blood for us, granted us access to himself, covers our shame, We have confidence to come before God. If we have confidence to come before God, well, we can have more confidence before coming to one another. We won't feel the shame anymore of, of, of being known because Christ has covered it up. He's covered our shame. He's brought us to one another, brought us to himself. And we've got an ongoing advocate in Jesus. So as we as a community consider how to stir one another up, when we fail to do that, Christ steps in on our behalf, continually advocating for us. So if the Father's welcoming us, he's saying, church, come on in and worship me, and the Son is ongoing advocating for us, he says, well, move forward in confidence. Step forward. Sure foundation. He who has promised is faithful. Draw near. The people who have been set free by Jesus, brought close to Jesus, and now invited to consider how the love of Christ for them will now impact the love for one another. So let us consider, the writer says. Let us think. First thing we do, we want to think about it. Essentially, the writer is saying, make some plans for Christians. Make some plans for other Christians. Think about this. After the service, some people are going to ask you the question, uh, what are your plans this afternoon? Judging by the day outside, it might, it's, it's a very good time to hit the beach. It's walking down there this morning and praise God that, that we're all here gathering because of what's on offer out there this morning. I, I saw it. It was glorious. This is far more glorious. So each of us have plans after today. You might reply, I've got a bit of work. Got some family stuff on. Got to continue holiday. Or got some errands to run. Well, the question is, okay, in light of this text, what are your plans for other Christians this week? What have you planned for other Christians? How have you considered other Christians this week? Do you have a plan for them? 
You're going to have to give it some thought by giving it some headspace. Those who Christ wants us to hold in our heart, he wants us to hold in our heads and think about it. Think about other Christians. Now, isn't it true that our heads can sometimes be elsewhere? Isn't your headspace just already, maybe even from this morning, just drawn to other places, drawn to other things? Jesus gives us a central command in Matthew 28 to go, therefore, and make disciples. This is what we ought to do as the church and as Christians, and yet our headspace can just be upon a lot of other things. Not necessarily sinful things, just our headspace gets caught up in life. Well, a writer saying, would you think about others? Would you think about the love that Christ has for you and how that might move you out towards others, the people you disciple? Discipling people is loving them. So think about this. Think about helping other Christians become who they already are in Christ. It's a nice little term for discipleship. I'm helping others become who they already are in Christ. So give it some thought. So practically, let's say you work a busy job. It's a very busy job. So I've got some practical things that are helpful. There's a guy in our church who pulls maybe 55-hour weeks and so he carves some time on a Saturday morning for two hours towards discipling others. Uh, there's another mother, and she's just, just as busy, and uh, she creates space in her work week, an hour and a half place, where she can invite someone else to come over to read scripture, to pray, and to encourage. Another couple, perhaps, young couple, and you, you don't have commitments, work's not too hectic, maybe, and no children with you, and so you've got some space to consider. How can we invite some, some other people from church over? Some of the single people from church. Maybe how can we give relief for some of the parents? That is considering others. The writer is saying, I want you to let us to consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Now, my guess is, if we're going to consider one another, we're probably not going to get there by accident. Not many of us, I think, are going to slip into neutral and just drift towards considering others and how to spur them on all the more. I don't think any of you are going to finish next week and just go, craziest thing happened. I just spent, I was just up late all night praying, discipling people in the mornings. I couldn't, I I fasted work, lunch breaks because I was just encouraging too many people. That's probably not going to happen. It's going to take intentional thought. We're not going to drift there. Well, as you think about your weekend plans, think about other Christians. This week, as you think about working through the next Netflix series, whatever it may be, or catching up on Ring of Power, if you're into that, think about other Christians, ways you can encourage them. Parents, as you think this week of developing your children or, or keeping them su- survive, surviving the school holidays, think about developing other Christians, helping other Christians survive. When people have space in your heart, The writer is saying, would you give them some space in your head? Think about it. Consider. Let us consider to stir one another up to love and good deeds. That leads us to our second word then. If we're going to consider, what exactly am I considering? So as I think about the the people in this church, what what is to be on my mind when I think about that? Well, the word is to consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. That word stir... um, Think about the phrase being, being stirred or everyone stir you up or stir you the wrong way. Have you ever had a sibling who, who just stirred you up the wrong way? If, if you're here, you can point to them out. That's, that's, that's all right. Um, 
That was my older brother. Um, he, he had a younger sibling like that that used to stir him up to the wrong way. And so I would annoy and provoke and push and prod and um, he was stronger than me. I was a little more agile, so I had to like annoy him and then get away before I, he would he'd reach out. There's a kind of provoking that, that is, the word actually means to jab until action takes place. It means to cut. There's intensity to it. The word here comes from a compound, para, which means alongside, and, and ox is to cut alongside. So it's a picture of like a, a spinning grinder with a chisel. And as the chisel kind of jabs across it, the sparks fly. That's what the writer's saying to think about. He's essentially saying, hey, would you think about getting the sparks to fly in other people? Think about sparking, spurring them along. He says, I want you to think about getting the spark going in others. Now, it's not in a romantic sense, so this isn't permission for you to, if you're single, just trying to you know, find someone romance. I'm going to try to get those sparks stirring. But it's the kind of sparks here that help them towards becoming who they are in Christ, spurring them on, thinking about others. Because it's true that we're all tempted towards discouragement, towards being worn out and weary, distracted. The, the, the writer is writing to these Jews who are tempted to they're drifting. Some of them are drifting. They're facing opposition. They're facing persecution. And he doesn't want them to give up or give in on the faith. And one of the means by which they don't give up is that he sent a bunch of other Christians to be thinking about how to spur them on to keep the flame alive, sparking one another. We need to be spurred on in the faith. So think about what God wants for the other people in the church. Have you thought, I wonder what God wants for these other people? What does God want to do in their lives that I can be part of helping encourage? I want them to have joy in Jesus. I want them to grow in Him. I want them to stand steadfast, immovable, unshakable. I want them to increase in knowledge and wisdom. I want them to hold fast to their confession and not to waver from it. I want them to survive. I want them to make it to eternity's shore as a Christian. I think about it. Well, the writer doesn't leave us in suspense for the two things that he wants us to stir people towards. To stir one another up to what? Look at those two words. To love and good deeds. To love and good deeds. I think that love has two directions. I think it's a love vertically to love God and and then horizontally to love one another. So our gospel community, it meets on Tuesday nights. Our our thinking when we, we gather is that I just don't want to be stirring the Earl Grey tea, although I do, and I love Earl Grey tea on a on Tuesday night, but I want to be thinking about how to stir one another up to love God more. I want to be thinking how I can be part of helping this person's affections for Christ just be fostered a little more deeply, a little higher. I, I want to be ready with God's Word to encourage them with thoughts and applications of how God's Word has impacted my life And I want to come with daily readings of how I've encountered God's Word because I want to let loose God's Word so they would love God more. I want to stir others up to love the gospel. We want to love Jesus, don't we? And we want to help others love Him the most. See, when we love God rightly, then we can love others rightly. But if we love love God wrongly, then we won't love others rightly. If we don't love God the most, 
we'll end up loving others less. So the writer says, hey, think about how to stir one another up to loving God, loving God, loving one another, and for good works. We'll spur people onto good works so that those who receive your good works would bring praise to God. And so the good works that happen in a church, you know, they're, they're not just there to kind of finish on the good work itself. They're not like cul-de-sacs. And so you're not, they're not meant to just kind of terminate on the good work. They're actually meant to be more like highways where you do the good work and then the glory doesn't end on you. It ends up glorifying God because you participate in a good work that helps glorify God. Well, what are these good works? The Bible gives us some examples of these good works towards, other, towards others within the church. And it's all those one another commands. Maybe you're familiar with some of them. Love one another, be devoted to one another, outdo one another in showing honor, rejoice with one another. Discipleship culture kind of spends the sparks flying, flaming our love for Jesus that leads to good works. And it can look like anything. It can look like a bunch of different things. Get creative. What are the needs within the church? Maybe it's making meals for others, babysitting, helping drive people to appointments, helping pick up kids from school, giving meals to families who have new, um, new children. Maybe you begin a Bible study. Maybe you make... We have one lady in our church is so encouraging. Um, she, she asked for permission if it was okay to make birthday cards, to make... Um, Cards for people when they've just had a new baby. I was like, feel free. Handmade cards. Because she's letting them know we're praying for you. We know, we see, we're encouraging you. What are these good works? Well, see, good works in a positive sense, but friends, there's also good works that are necessary. So it's not just that we want to bless a family by minding their kids so they can, they can get a date night in. It's actually about blessing the family to mind their kids so, so that, mar- that married couple can do some soul work together. Some uninterrupted time to work on the health of the marriage to help them continue to stand firm in the faith. See, this community that that the the author is writing to, they're experiencing trials, the testing of their faith. They're being tempted to pull away from the community and pull away from Jesus, and they need other brothers and sisters to spur them on towards love and good works so they may continue in the faith. Good works that nourish a saint's soul in the midst of sin, struggle, and weakness. Care for one another, love one another, be patient with one another, forgive one another. There's a bunch of good works that happens in a church. The writer is saying, let's consider how we can stir one another up to those kind of good works. So God gets the glory. Good works, good actions leads to God's glory. I just think this could make our weeks quite thrilling. If we thought about this for the moment. What would your week look like if one of the lenses that you applied to your week was, how can I get the sparks flowing in other people so I can do good works to them and they would be moved towards doing good works so the whole church here would be built up? I think that creates a really exciting week, more than just punch in, punch out, move on. Friends, the the writer is saying, let's think about this. Consider one another. See what the Lord might do in you and through you as we disciple one another. That's the second word then, provoke. If someone asked you this week, what was the sermon about? You can say, well, the preacher said I should positively annoy and provoke the people in my church. That's one way you could say what the sermon was about. 
preacher said I could positively provoke people in my church towards love and good deeds. Thirdly, then, to gather. To gather. Now, the writer's pretty clear here in this part. There's one thing he doesn't want us to do, and there is something he does, he does want us to do. He says, don't do this, but do this. So he says, don't neglect, do consider. What is it that he says not to neglect? Well, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you think about this for a moment, there are some people who have been following Jesus, but they've begun to make a habit of not gathering with Jesus' people. That term, meeting together, is a synagogue picture where God's people would gather together to worship God. People are beginning to neglect the meeting together, the, the, the churching together. And so this expression of meeting together is really parallel to what we're experiencing here right now, is the church assembling together, meeting together. This is part of discipleship culture. In fact, this is essential to who you are as a church. But the reality is some people have made a habit of not gathering together. Maybe you know someone whose story is familiar. Maybe this has been part of your story at different times in your life. This could be applying to some people even here who may be gathering today. You know the story. You're a part of a church. Then something happened that took you away just for one Sunday. It was just a birthday party. It was just a late night wedding, and so you slept in. It was just a sporting event. It didn't really seem like a big deal, but it began to happen a bit more regularly. Work got a bit busier. Maybe you got a part-time job. Maybe those penalty rates on Sunday seemed more and more attractive because you had to pay for the kind of lifestyle you wanted to live. It sounded justifiable after all. You've got to survive. Maybe you entered a new relationship and that was the only time you had together. Or maybe you're just so busy with your life that you wanted to carve out me time and that was Sunday. I had one person who said to me, legitimately, I'm not able to gather at church because I'm doing meal prep for the week. Meal prep. You're roasting potatoes. You're you're cooking steak. God is inviting you to come and worship. Well, it doesn't really matter, does it? And the problem is that it doesn't really matter becomes indifference and then indifference becomes neglect and so this you just missed a Sunday because of shift work or or this or that well well he's saying there's a problem here now I want to be before we continue in this I, I want to recognize that there are exceptional circumstances for not being able to gather with God's people some of you have found yourself, or if anyone was listening on from LCC, you might be in that position. There might be some significant reasons and seasons why you're unable to gather. There might be health reasons. For instance, we know of a, a, a couple who's, whose child is very unwell, and they have to do chemotherapy, and their child has a next-to-no immune system, and so they made the decision, just for the moment, in this kind of we just can't gather. It's, it's too risky. I understand that. So there are exceptions to the rules. So I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about maybe jobs of necessity. 
you know, particularly with shift workers, with nurses, keeping people alive, etc. So there are some roles that have to happen of necessity and charity, but they are the exceptions. See, there's a habit that some people here are thinking that this is a, the kind of person who thinks they, have, uh, they are the exception to the rule. Truth is, their, their uh, excuse isn't all that exceptional, and it's actually not all that acceptable. The writer is saying, do not do, do, do this, do not do this. Do not, do not walk in such deliberate sin. And that's actually why it's actually quite serious, this passage. Because if you go on in verse 26, it says next, it says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for us. This is quite weighty. The writer of Hebrews is then going to say later on, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's actually a terrifying thing to be disobeying God. I had one pastor say it this way. He said, listen, he said, um, you should go to church like your life depends on it. Because it does. He was stating it in no uncertain terms. There is an essential element to gathering with God's people that the writer here is saying, you must not neglect this. You must not forsake this. You must not separate yourself from gathering with God's people. If you're doing that, you're cutting yourself off from the places and the spaces where the one anothering takes place, where the sparks fly. The chisel won't get next to the grinding wheel if we don't gather. People won't be spurred up to love God and love one another. They'll be discouraged to turn up when we be part of this. Essentially, when people fail to do this, they're just missing God's design. Jesus didn't head to the cross so we might occasion occasionally and seldomly approach the throne room of grace. Friends, he went to the cross ultimately. He went to the ultimate extent that you and I would boldly come before the throne room of grace regularly to worship him as a collective people. One writer says, the neglect of worship and fellowship was symptomatic of a catastrophic failure to appreciate the significance of Christ's priestly ministry and the access to God it provided. So when you neglect to, to meet with God's people, we end up neglecting the gift of God. We're neglecting God's ministry to us and, to, to, and through us to others. The writer is saying, hey, don't set your life up against God's word. Do not go on deliberately sing. Now that you know, do not do this. We want our lives in line with God's word. Since, um, since COVID, I think there's not a few churches that have been uh, unsettled with, with attendance. And, and some have peaks and troughs and there's like a sifting and there's, there's even some sense of acceptability because of this and that of not gathering it's kind of like um, you know when you're young, if you're young young parents would know this when you have a child um, there's that there's those first few weeks where it's just completely understandable why you wouldn't gather at church or just go out in general and then you probably got like a two or three maybe five year window where, where because of your child that can be your excuse for not doing anything really so it says we'll come around so I can't because Billy's sleep time's at 6.30 and we'll do earlier well that's when the nap time is and we'll do in between well that's when they feed and so you got this like portable excuse for forever and, and well, the, 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 well, forever five years or so depends how far you want to push it but there's a kind of an acceptability that the writer's saying, don't, don't let that be acceptable. Don't neglect this thing. Don't make a habit of that. Come back. Somewhere, I think, under the reasons for why people neglect gathering, it's just a heart that says, 
I don't really need what God has given me. I don't really need what God's given me. I don't really need these people. I don't really need God's word. Sin's not really a problem for me weekly. The Lord's not really returning soon. Other things are more important. I don't really need accountability. That's the kind of underlying posture of those who have made a habit of neglecting to gather with God's people. They basically start to show that they're wavering from their hope, wavering from their confession. So friends, where there is an ability to meet together as the church, meet together, you must. It's imperative. I remember speaking to a young adult gathering, about 100 and so, and young adults are generally pretty um, positive for what they want to bring about in the world. And um, I remember speaking to them, it's like, hey, can we stop talking about making the world a better place when you, you can't even make it to church each week? We stop trying to change the world and just arrive at church on time. Let's, let's start there. That's how we'll change the world. I can't remember who said it, but said, some writer said, everyone wants to change the world, but, but no one wants to do the dishes. Well, friends, part of the Christian life, part of the way we're wired, is just the basics. Just get together regularly. See what God does. Assemble together. Don't neglect to do this. Spur each other on. See, I think, I think as we do this, we, we ought not to underplay how significant this moment is. Do you know how significant it is that you're here? This is a wonderful, you should be so encouraged. You should be deeply encouraged that you're here. I'm so encouraged that you're all here. There's other Christians who still say Christ is Lord. This is amazing. We're not going to hell. Christ is calling us towards heaven. We've made it another week. Praise God. Let's keep going. So encouraged by visitors here who, who are holidaying and gathering with God's people. How encouraging. Right, is saying, don't neglect this. Keep going. Keep encouraging each other on. And that's the fourth thing when it comes to our discipleship. To encourage one another. Oh, it's encouraging. So encouraging. It's so encouraging at church when you see people who've had brutal weeks just rock up at church and praise them. Isn't that encouraging? When you see people, I, this one guy, I just knew, I knew the week that they'd had. I knew the kind of struggles they were facing. But there they were, standing, singing. They turned up. So encouraging. Another person who was deeply um, sinned against. Another person who had sinned against them deeply. And they're there and they're singing the words, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. That person got a reminder of the gospel that week. Their sins, though they were deep, were covered and paid for by the blood of Christ. How encouraging is that? That's what you want to have. You want to encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, I think there's a lot of things I do find encouraging, but do you get encouraged when, when people say no to parties on Sundays and, and guests to church? Or when parents, particularly with like teenagers, they, they make decisions, hey, if, if you do this school sport, this, kind of, this means you, you, you won't be able to play the games because we're worshipping Jesus on a Sunday. I get so encouraged by that as, as parents. It's so exciting. 
You're setting parents, your young family, you're setting an example for your, for your children of what it means to follow Jesus, to prioritize Jesus. You're setting a culture for them. Older people in this church, you're so glad you're here because you're setting a culture of what it means to, to gather regularly. It's so encouraging. There's an entire community taking responsibility for one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, he said, the goal of Christian community is that we meet one another as bringers of the gospel. So each, each time we gather, we come as bringers of the gospel, as people who are recipients of undeserved favor, and we let that leak out on one another. Encourage one another, he says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. What are some ways that you can encourage one another when you gather? Well, encourage one another through our prayer. I'm just encouraging, hearing, praying for, for Little Mountain Church. So we're encouraged by that. Maybe after the service, you can um, ask people, how can I be praying for you this week? Maybe um, part of the way you encourage one another is you just have a list of the names of people in your church and you just work through it. You just, you just pray for them each week. When you think about them, you send them a text and say, hey, I was just praying for you, thinking about you. There's new people that will gather each week. If you're like me, after you have that conversation with getting their name, you're going to get your phone out and you're going to write their name down because you're going to forget it in just a few minutes. So you write their names down. That week you pray for them. Pray for one night. It's encouraging. Be encouraging with your words. So we want to speak words that bring grace, not bring others down. Words of encouragement, exhortation, comfort. We want to find people. We want to see knowing and how can I bring God's word to bear upon you? What have I got? How have I tasted? How have I tasted some of God's grace this week that I can now bring when we gather and share with you? It doesn't have to be much. Just bring it. Encourage one another with your words. Encourage one another with your singing. Gee, it's, it's so encouraging hearing God's people sing. You guys sing really well. It's really encouraging. Colossians 3.16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing and teaching. This is filling ourselves with the word of God. It's really encouraging. Encourage others with our actions. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So when we gather together, there's a chance in a gathering like this that, that some people might be idle, some people might be weak and some people might be faint-hearted. And so you've got to help those people in different ways, right? Someone who's um, weak, who's lying on the ground, well, we don't give them a kick up the butt. The, the, the idol we do, the, we admonish the idol, but for the person who's just, just fallen in, you can't kick them. No, no, they need to be lifted up or encourage the faint-hearted, put an arm around them, encourage people with our actions. So the church is thinking about one another. They're thinking about how to stir one another up to love for, love for God, love for one another, good works. They gather together regularly, committed to this, which, which creates a kind of culture and atmosphere where we want to gather more and more regularly so we can encourage one another. Now, the question is, if we're doing this, do you think for God's people, the trajectory would be that we would do this more and more or do you think the trajectory would be that we would do this less and less? Well, the answer's in the text. More and more, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as we get closer to the end, when the Lord's coming back, we get closer to one another. Because we're, we're moving towards the 
kind of eschatological purpose of who we are as God's covenant people. We're going to be spending all eternity together. Hooray. And some of you are like, I'm, you're not thrilled by that yet. That's okay. God will sanctify that. And he's, do, he's got a lot of time to do it. We're going to be in heaven. We're getting ready for that. So all the more. So the, the, the writer is saying, hey, don't just look back at the cross for motivation to do this. Look forward to Christ's return. Oh, this is going to bring clarity for what we ought to do as we disciple one another. When trials and temptations ramp up, oh, I've got to lean in more. I don't want to be disobedient. I don't want to get distracted. I'm so easily distracted. I need others to help me stay focused so I don't diverge. Well, let's do this all the more. Some might say, yeah, well, I have a few things going on. And I say, I know. But let the priority be the church. Christ had a few things going on as well. And, and he made the priority to die, to bring you to himself and bring you to one another. So, so listen to God's word. The day of the Lord is coming near. If he returns, I don't want to be found neglecting his people. So that's the day there is a re- reference to Christ's return. You see, when the sky is opening up, you're, just not, you're not storing up treasure, are you? You just wouldn't. It'd be so silly. Christ is coming. The end of next week, you're just, you're just not trying to work the market to just save and store more money, gather more possessions. You just, it wouldn't make sense. The sky's he's coming back. He's coming soon. When the trumpets begin warming up, you're not neglecting one another to, to finish the shopping or groceries or meal prep or beach. No, no. You're leaning in. Hey, friends, the Lord's coming back. It could be any time now. Oh, let's gather all the more. Eternity helps refocus our priorities, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Thinking about the future helps bring so much clarity. You know, one of the uh, a writer this week, um, just reflecting on the Queen's funeral, said it was it was perhaps the last transcendent moment we as a we as a globe will get, ever get to experience of transcendence. This idea that there's something more than just the, the physical material of this world. The Queen's death. Thinking about, the, thinking about death, thinking about the future, thinking about things that matter. C.S. Lewis wrote, if, if you read history, you will find that the Christian who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Friends, it is actually impossible, impossible to be truly so heavenly-minded that you are of no earthly good. The more heavenly-minded you are, oh, the more earthly good you will be to those around you. When you, the writer is saying, give more than just a nod to our future trajectory, our future trajectory. Give it a wholehearted, full gaze. Look at it. Think about his return. Be in wonder of it. And let that form you to gather with one another, not to neglect. You know, it's interesting, it's thinking about why does the writer say, do not neglect to gather? Why not just put it in the positive, keep gathering together? And I think it's because neglect implies responsibility. So for instance, um, far as I'm aware, none of you have paid my mortgage repayments this week. If you have, or if you have the ability to, I'm more than king to talk. But you haven't done that, why? Now, we wouldn't say you've neglected, to pay my bills because it's not your responsibility. But if I didn't pay my mortgage this week, 
I would be what? Neglecting my responsibility. I think the writer frames it this way because there's a responsibility we do have. It's not optional. It's not just a good idea. It's a must. Gather together. I think Jesus knew that it would be tempting for us not to come to church regularly. See, if it wasn't a temptation, I don't think we'd have, we wouldn't have any need for this command. <laughs> That's why he writes it. Because people like you and like me, save sinners this side of eternity, attempted to forsake gathering with God's people. And the writer says, don't, don't do that. Jesus went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to. They would die for the sin where we have neglected. So if you're here and, and maybe your attendance, maybe you're on that verge of you know, beginning to neglect and making a habit of it, come to Christ, come freely and confess your sin. Receive his grace and then let that grace get to work to allow you to gather with the people he purchased for you. So putting here in this command, we repent and respond in obedience to the grace that he's granted us. So in response to his grace, let us love others well through thinking about them. Let us commit to this today by God's grace. Let us love one another. Give it some thought. Make plans for other Christians. Let the sparks fly here at LCC. Can you picture what it would be like if all churches were committed to this? The kind of difference it would make when churches did not, if, no, if Christians didn't forsake to gather together? You know, the last um, results, kind of sense of results, one in five Australians reported attending religious services. So that was monthly. So one in five people in Australia are monthly attending some kind of religious service. Only 17% of them did that weekly. So in Australia, 2.6 of Australians regularly gather for worship each Sunday. It's only 2.6. It's not very high. And so we want to picture something different. And I'm just convinced. I'm convinced that church health won't ex- exceed its ability to assemble together. I'm, just, I'm convinced of it. If we fail to assemble together, we fail to neglect God's word, we fail to love one another, we won't spur each other on. People will fall away. The writer of Hebrews says, don't do this. Think about your brother, sister. Think about them. Make plans for them. Let those who are in your heart be in your head. So if you want to know, people ask you after today, what was the sermon about? Well, it was about how we can positively irritate one another towards loving God. And it's about how we get to do that weekly. What a blessing. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 